Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. You know, it was so fascinating coming across uh, AI Dungeons because I... uh, Essentially, my first experience of computing was probably playing text adventures uh, like Zork. Yeah, <laughs> I think back in the eighties, and and it, and it was it was really like a like going back to the earliest days of the computer revolution. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's it's it does it has a huge Zork or old text adventure like feel um, when you're playing it, which sometimes sometimes people don't realize what it can do. Like they'll do very simple actions like grab bucket or attack troll and they don't realize that they can do much more verbose things because unlike those adventures like we can literally handle any action they would do whereas zorik it's like if you don't do exactly the right syntax it might not work well this was the challenge because not only did you have to beat the game you almost had to create a mental model of what the programmer thought the world looked like in order to be able to play. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I remember another game like that. It was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it, it took me all, forever to even get out of the first room. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the other thing that, that, that this also reminded me of was the, you know, years ago before the web, I used to play around a lot on uh, bulletin boards and, um, you know, mm-hmm. with, 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 a, with a 300 board acoustic coupler modem. Uh, and and it it was really weird though how immersive those text based interactions were, yeah. especially when they were open ended. So yeah. yeah, so I mean, what sort of led you to choose this as a place to start? I guess would be my question. Yeah, so I think kind of the origin is I was just at a hackathon trying to think of what I would build, and I'd recently been playing. I just started playing D anD D with my family. And the cool thing about D&D that kind of fascinated me was it was like a video game, except you could do anything. Like you could solve any problem with whatever crazy creative solution you could think of. And the dungeon master was smart enough to think about, you know, what would be the and the other characters' reactions and what might happen. And that kind of freedom was really powerful and intriguing me. And so at the hackathon, I ended up playing with GPT-2, the smallest version, which had just been released. And I realized like, this is really fun. And you can do a lot of interesting things with these kind of language models. And so I ended up building the very first version of AI Dungeon, which wasn't nearly as good as it is now. Um, I think the very first version, after I, I released it a couple months later, it got like a couple thousand people. This was before I released it in December when it kind of exploded. Yeah. Um, and so then I just kind of worked on it for a while. And and the real pivotal point was when I was able to upgrade to the largest version of GPT-2 and train it on these text adventures that other people had written. And that's the point where it was actually good like it could generate these interesting stories and that was a really exciting point where i realized like hey you could actually do this um <laughs> and so then yeah just kind of went from there i i'm uh, chatting today with uh nick walton who is the cto and co-founder of latitude um which of course produced the game we're talking about which is uh, ai dungeon 
Um, you know, Nick, you know, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of, of playing around with this, uh, maybe just explain a little bit about what it is and, and how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's kind of like an old text adventure or another example is it's kind of like those choose your own adventure books right if you remember reading uh, and you, jackson you read a yeah couple pages <laughs> and there are a couple options and it's like turn to page 42 if you do this except the main difference is instead of being given a limited set of options you can literally do anything for your action right so like if you see a troll you can offer it a pastry and try to become its friend or you know just like anything and the ai which is basically a crazy advanced text predictor can predict what what would be the next thing that would happen in this story and so it kind of writes the next part of the story and then you just go back and forth doing actions the ai continuing the story and you get this really fun experience where you have this unlimited freedom that you've never had in any other game where you you can do things that the developer would never have imagined right where most games it's like you can only choose choices that de the developer pre-wrote out and so that's really fun for me as well like seeing all the seeing all the crazy things that people do that i would have never expected people to do with ai dungeon right so like <laughs> play a game where they are a chair but like they have all these mo emotional experiences and someone like finds them in the forest and brings them home and like like just all like these stories that it's just so creative and i think that's one of my favorite things well, now that i know you're actually reading my adventures i'm definitely going to turn it down a little bit but um one of the, one of the things that really intrigues me with this is that it, it's like playing with a very experienced improv actor uh who's yeah. who's on acid because you know <laughs> whatever you say and, and i think this is the most interesting part where you're not just playing the game but when you're actually uh writing the story and so if you give like three lines of story to the uh, to your ai it essentially it kind of builds a world from there yeah i think i think a uh, collaborative improv is a great way to think about it it's kind of like the principle of yes and right where mm -hmm. like you just go with whatever your other improv partner does like the ai is great at that it will just go with whatever you say um and that's also a good way to have a good experience with it as well is to do yes and with the AI. And if the AI brings up some crazy element, just to kind of go along and see where the story takes you. And, 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 and you know, if you think about the way people used sort of video games as a way of creating movies, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, people starting to use this as a way of essentially generating stories that they then want to share with people. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's what I meant earlier about reading player stories is obviously I don't read like private stories, but people will publish <laughs> stories and share it on our platform. And so we see all these cool stories that people have made and shared with other people. And I see people making animated videos or even live action videos based on these adventures, or there are people writing entire books with AI dungeon. And so I really think it's this really powerful tool for creativity where people are like, being able to overcome their writer's block, right? That they can't think of the next part of the story and just kind of let the AI help them think about what would happen next. So I, I came across you originally because I was looking into GPT-3 and, and, and interesting applications of it. And you, you, of course, mentioned that this is based on these text transformers at the heart of your platform. Mm -hmm. can, can you talk a little bit about uh, what, um, what OpenAI have actually created and, and how you've integrated? Yeah. Yeah, so in the last couple of years, 
we've seen some really awesome progress in natural language AI. And that has enabled a lot of really cool things like AI Dungeon, um, as well as even, even companies like Google are using this natural language AI in their search. Not things as powerful as, as GPT-2 and 3, but similar uh, technology. Um, so eventually how GPT-2 and 3 work is it's kind of like a super advanced text predictor like you would have on your phone where it predicts what's the most likely word to come next, except these are massive models that you have to run on huge GPUs and train on 50 gigabytes of internet text or more, which is an insane amount of text data. Um, and, and you essentially take it and you train it on huge amounts of the internet. Right. And then you get this model that knows about Harry Potter or it knows about current world events or it, know, it just knows about all these different things. And there's something cool that happens where when to learn how to predict the next word, you learn a lot of other concepts. So for example, if you need to predict the next word of like you push a chair off a cliff, right? You need to learn something about gravity to be able to predict what those next words are going to be. And so there's all these different ways that the model is learning world concepts. And so can actually kind of simulate a model about the world. But but this is a bit different to the sort of the symbolic AI movement, which is, which is you actually need to teach machine what gravity is or, you know, who yeah. Harry Potter is in a kind of a semantic sense. This is more about, would you say you need to know the words that go around a concept of Harry Potter or that go mm -hmm. around a concept of gravity without actually knowing what that thing is. Yeah, exactly. The The way it learns is just by reading and trying to predict. And so it's like a parrot. It doesn't, it doesn't understand. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't understand gravity from like a symbolic reasoning sense. It just understands. It, it has kind of built up a model of how the world works from what it's learned in books. Right. So like, yeah. imagine if you grew up in a box and never experienced anything about the world, but you just like read a bunch of books about gravity, about medieval knights, right? Or about throwing a ball. You might not know how throwing a ball actually works because you've never experienced it, but you've, you've kind of picked up, up from, of these concepts in a book and know how that relates, at least from a language sense. So uh, this is interesting because I, I'm pretty sure Alan Turing, when he was imagining the Turing test, didn't contemplate a, a possibility of, of, of a machine that could trick yourself into being a human, but didn't actually know what a human was. Yeah. So, you know, with GPT-3, you, 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 you can effortlessly trick people into thinking they're talking to a human. But in a sense, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a solution to a different kind of problem in a way. Yeah, I think, I think the Turing test, I, sometimes we try and use the Turing test as a measure for all AI intelligence. I don't think that's the right way. I think the Turing test is a measure for exactly what it tests. How good is an AI at emulating a human? Right. So it's a it's a, it's a test for human intelligence, actually. Yeah. It, well, yeah. It's a <laughs> test of both, right? It's a test of how smart are humans in evaluating an AI, and how smart can an AI be to emulate a human? But but there's a lot of kinds of intelligence that might have nothing to do with emulating a human. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think you need kind of a broader set of of ways to determine intelligence. We see with GPT-3, there's a lot of measures of intelligence that it definitely does a lot better than previous models, but definitely a lot of ways it falls short of human intelligence. And so it's a huge step forward, but um, definitely not 
not AGI yet, right? We still have a ways to go before we're at that point. I mean, GPT-3 was trained on something like, I think it was 175 billion parameters. Um, yeah. how, how, what did you notice when you went from GPT-2 to 3? Like, was it a, an exponential difference in, in the quality of the results? Yeah, I would say it, it felt like something like a 10x improvement in quality. Right. Um, some of the specific things that I've noticed, like from an AI dungeon specific perspective, is with GPT-2, often the AI would get confused in dialogue and trying to keep track of who was saying what. So like you might talk to some man and he's like, I need you to come help save my quister, go on a quest to save my sister. Will you help me on this quest? And then later in the dialogue, he, the same guy would say, I'm gonna go on this quest to save your sister. And you're like, wait, wait, I'm confused. Like whose sister needs saving, right? And it's this <laughs> kind of confusion about who is who. Um, but I see that very rarely with GP3. I think GP3 has a much better ability to keep track of who's who and that kind of coherence. And just like general coherence in a story, it's much better at staying on track and just generating interesting characters. So that, you know, on that example you gave, Nick, you know, that in-conversation memory, is, is that being held by you guys on your platform or, or is it actually being retained in, in the OpenAI model? Uh, yeah, so it's the way the memory works on AI Dungeon is we, so you start with some prompt and the AI generates based on that prompt and then you might do an action. And the next time we want the AI to generate, we feed in that prompt, your action, the AI's response, the next action. We uh. just feed in the series of the last 20 actions to the model. So it doesn't have, it doesn't have like an internal memory. We kind of feed in here's what you should remember about the conversation, right? Right. So, you know, this this gets interesting because, you know, back to our early discussion of, of, of the difference between knowing um, Harry Potter as a, as, a, as, a, as a linguistic concept and knowing who Harry Potter is. Do, do you see the evolution of this is starting to merge some aspects of symbolic AI with very clever um, natural language processing like this so that, you know, as you, you know, discover a book, of magic and the the system generates some text about it would it also be able to start to create an emergent um symbolic logic structure within that game eventually so as as you make progress or do things or invent new ways of creating magic the system essentially is building that into the into its own logic yeah i mean i think i think the the ai in the training process is building a lot of interesting kind of reasoning processes within its weights that we can't really understand because we can't go into the weights and say, oh, this means when you fall off a cliff, gravity pulls you down or something. Because we can't really interpret how those weights transition into actual meaning. But I think the AI is coming up with really interesting like models of the world and logical structures kind of encoded into those weights. Right. Um, because essentially our knowledge of the world is in text anyway. Yeah, I think to a degree. I think, I think. Um, I mean, we sometimes think in very discrete logics, with, uh, symbols when it comes to like math or some other concepts. But I think we have a very, I think we have a more fuzzy representation of knowledge and how the world works than we realize encoded in our brain. Hmm. And it's kind of encoded in a simplified form, right? Like 
we we build models of the, how the world works and they're not perfect models they're just kind of like our rough models <laughs> so that we can use them in thinking right yeah i mean and, and actually that, that's that's the basis of a lot of uh, bias and you know heuristics you know we, we've got a fairly mm-hmm. simplified version of uh of, of responses generally yeah yeah so where do you where, where do you see this evolving then? You know, how do you how would you see the not just the future of your game, but the future of the way AI will become part of uh, games in general or, or storytelling for that matter? Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. There's a couple issues with the current games that have been around since forever, and we and we've kind of started to hit this I don't know this barrier in game development. Where you look at something like Skyrim 10 years ago, right? Like 10 years ago is a long time in technology development. And the games coming out now aren't that much different than Skyrim. Maybe we have slightly better graphics, but fundamentally you have the same kind of yeah. structures and like you have programmers go in and code these massive if the else trees of dialogue and quests and, and handcraft all these different buildings and dungeons and characters. Um, and the issues are, A, it's so expensive, like you have hundreds of people spend years and years, and B, you still hit these barriers where like there's only so much you can do by handcrafting, and you and you still end up with these characters like the guards um, all have <laughs> the same backstory and say the same thing, right? They don't have they don't have interesting unique stories, and same with like there's only so many locations you can go to. Um, and I think AI really has the power to change this, where I think in the future we'll, we'll see less of humans doing all these tiny details and more of humans architecting kind of the overarching story and how the world works, and then letting the AI fill in all the little details about the world and make it feel live and, you know, give backstories to individual characters and, and towns and decide what happens based on how you interact with them. And so then the, you can have this really cool thing where you could go and talk to characters, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, and they'll react in realistic ways. And you can you can imagine that not just on a character level, but on a town level or on a city or on a kingdom level, right? Where the world is changing in realistic ways based on your actions. Um, so then I think, I, I think you can do a lot of really cool things with that. Right, because what um, could possibly go wrong by giving the robot hosts their own memories and backstories, right? yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of interesting things with with what what could happen um but i I think it's i think it's the next gen it's the next step games will go well well, to to this example though i mean one of the interesting things that would need to change for that to work would be you you sort of need a a sense of the 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 player state or or, or even the state of non-players in that game because anything yeah that that um, non-player character says um, would not only need to fit into that world; it would need the world would also need to fit to the comments in a sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of challenges with how do you integrate this kind of AI into a game, like and into and merge it with game mechanics, right? So, like, yeah. how do you take this the te- this text output? and update the world state and update, you know, what's the player's inventory? What's this, what are the characters around it? What's the location? Like, how does this change? Um, and, and that's the, and that's the hard problem that we are kind of focused on solving. Uh, I think it's totally solvable, but we'll, it will take time to figure out how we build 
it's it's going to take an entirely new way of building games that we're yeah. not used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a hard problem, but, but because you're right, because it because rather than sort of the the the, the model of getting hundreds of writers creating a, a universe, you you almost start to track the interactions of these non-player characters interacting with each other and remembering yeah. that you know whatever changes have made. Yeah, exactly. How do you how do you keep track of the memory, right? Um, how do you how do you track all the different things happening in the world? How do you how do you enforce rules in the model, right? So like if you want to say you can only do certain types of magic or you can only do magic when your mana is so high, like how do you enforce that in the generation of the this the model in generating the story? Um, it's actually a really hard problem that's not there's not clear ways to does, does the GPT model allow you to set guardrails, you know, around what it can say there are, or respond? There are tools and like knobs you can tune to kind of affect it, but they're they're very weak, right? Like it's mm. it's very hard to control it. It's kind of like you're on an elephant and you're like you're not even a trained elephant rider with like a stick and strings. You're just like on the elephant and you're like trying to like I don't know, like trying to hold it and turn its body and it's just not really doing that much. And so like you can do a little bit, but it the tools are are much weaker than they need to be for to really have the level of control we need. One of the the interesting dimensions um, to AI Dungeon is the audio narration option. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, as I, I, was, I, was, I was looking at that, I thought, well, I mean, it would be even more powerful, um, and I think you had this for a while via Alexa, is that if you could actually talk to it, and it essentially would be narrating back to you, um, because if yeah. if you could play this with earpods, you know, um, it, 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 you you really would be able to potentially incorporate your own surroundings um, into a kind of a text-based adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely something that um, we're working on as part of our plan thing is to to improve and make that text to speech to text experience seamless right because i think there's a lot of power in having that where it's it's almost just like you have a little storyteller in your pocket right yeah um so yeah Yeah. we're really excited and and we're also especially if you combine that with like algorithmic music generation and things like that yeah yeah definitely um and that's also and that's one thing we're excited about too is that the accessibility aspects because like Here's a cutting edge new game that is just success, just as accessible to say a blind user than any than to anyone else. And so we love that that's that's an aspect of our game is that it can be playable by anyone, right? And anyone who can you know interact in text. Before you came to uh, making Dungeons and Dragons games with AI, you you actually had uh, quite a um, an extensive background in machine learning, robotics. I think you even worked in a self driving car company for a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you see natural language processing? You know the significance of, of of that versus, I guess, the other things you were working on previously in AI. Like, why is yeah. why is this? Um, I mean, I've seen people describe. Um, what what you know the GPT series is being equivalent to to the iPhone in terms of its pers- potential to disrupt the industry. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think there's still I I still am a strong believer that self driving cars will will impact society positively. The the challenges there are a much harder problem than what we're doing. 
So I have massive respect for the companies working on it and the people working on it because it's it's high value and low tolerance for failure. And so I think that's the hardest part with these AI applications is some of these that have lower tolerance for failure. That's just it's just much more difficult because with AI, it's it's harder to guarantee what the result will be. So like some of these GPT-3 generation uh, applications you see, um, I think ones where it needs to be right very often or almost all the time are going to have a much more difficult experience because by their nature, models like GPT-3 are not necessarily consistent in doing the correct answer. Whereas, So if you're using us, it for like medical di diagnosis, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't think we're there yet. Whereas for us, it can say completely wrong information and it doesn't really matter, right? Mm. Like it can say Germany is located in Southeast Asia and like that that's not really an issue. Um, whereas for other applications, that kind of accuracy might be more important. And same with like self-driving cars, right? Like you like 90% accuracy is not good enough for a perception system on a self-driving car. Like you need 99.99, right? Like you need a much higher bar. So what have you learned um, from the infrastructure side of, of, of even, you know, building out um, AI Dungeon? I mean, you, you've got a, essentially you've had to host a massive AI model in the cloud, um, yeah. which is, you know, not only a very different way of building a video game, it's a very novel kind of problem to deal with. I mean, I mean even if you're working with AI, generally people are, you know, using something from, you know, Amazon or Microsoft. It's a, it's a very different kind of implementation. Yeah, definitely. And, and, with OpenAI's API, it's a little easier for people who don't really have the experience of, of how to deploy a massive machine learning model, but that's not an easy problem. It, it We spent probably the first two or three months just trying to keep the game up because deploying it on that many GPUs is just a challenge, mm -hmm. and we had such massive user growth. Um, yeah, I think I think we're seeing we're seeing a lot of services that are going to make deploying this kind of AI much easier. Um, but I do think to kind of stay on the cutting edge and do interesting new things, having that experience and knowing how to do it is really valuable. So we so we use OpenAI for the main story generation, but we we use other models for different parts of our stack. So for example, our quest completion detection, right? So we can the user can have a quest and we can figure out when they actually completed the quest and give them this kind of notification that they completed it. Um, so that's powered on a different machine learning model that we host ourselves. Um, so yeah, it's it's a challenging it's a challenging task though to do because, I mean, you're just you're just hosting massive models and you require more expensive hardware, and so to do it cheap enough is the biggest challenge. So if we if we look back now at things like Zork or even Lambda Mu as sort of the 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 early um, the early stirrings of the video game and and the web itself. Do you think when we look back in 10 years to AI Dungeon, what do you think will be at the end of that story? I mean, what are you most excited about at, at, at the, I guess, the potential evolution with, you know, GPT-4 and GPT-5? Yeah. Yeah. So we really see, a, we see video games as starting over from the beginning, right? So video games went from this process where we initially had these very simple text adventure type games. And then we got to things like King's Quest, where you might have a little bit of graphics and Doom, and and eventually to things like Skyrim and, and other big 3D worlds. Um, I think we're restarting that process. 
I think we have to start back at text adventures again, just because the AI is so complex. We need to figure out how to do it on the most basic level. Um, and and the vision the vision side of AI, well, I'm certain it will get there in the next couple of years. It's not quite there yet. And so I think I think we're gonna go through that same route again with AI powered games, where we're gonna start at text. We're gonna move to like some images, kind of like more basic things, and eventually get to these full VR worlds that are powered by AI and have all these interesting dynamic elements. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com/slash Between Worlds. Thank you.